Last summer, the Atlanta Dream and the WNBA made headlines in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. But they did much more than talk and protest. They took action. And in the process, they may very well have altered the course of American history. You may recall WNBA players wore Black Lives Matter warm-up outfits and jerseys before and during games. Kelly Leffler, a Georgia senator and co-owner of the Dream at the time, objected to the practice, calling it a sign of cancel culture. In response, the Dream publicly endorsed one of Leffler's Senate opponents, Raphael Warnock. Leffler got her wish. The BLM shirts were gone, only to be replaced by Vote Warnock shirts. Then, the Dream encouraged fans to register to vote in the days leading up to the election and to get out the vote in a subsequent January 5th runoff election. In the end, Leffler was defeated by Warnock, and both Republican senators from Georgia lost to Democratic challengers, shifting the balance of power in the Senate. No matter what side of the aisle you may be on, the fact that sports played such an influential role in our democracy is pretty stunning. My next guest was part of that dream team, and she just wrapped up a three-game homestand in Atlanta. Monique Billings. Aside from being a dream forward, she's also a Pac-12 network basketball analyst, a model, a marketing mogul, and a mentor to young women and girls. I caught up with Monique this past spring while she was playing in Russia, getting ready for the 2021 WNBA season. She took me inside the bubble and into the dream locker room last summer. She helped me understand what it was like to be in that moment and in those very difficult conversations she had with teammates about race, politics, and voting rights. She also shared the advice Kobe Bryant once gave her, and she introduced me to a new acronym, NARP, N-A-R-P. If you're curious, this episode is for you. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Monique as much as I did. I couldn't be more excited to welcome Atlanta Dream Forward Monique Billings to the Sports Mentoring Project straight from Russia, of all places. Welcome. Thank you so much, John. I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk to you about mentoring, and we'll start with some quick hitters. Who is your greatest mentor? My father. And if he was here right now, what would you say to him? Thank you for putting me on game. Thank you for everything. What's dad's superpower? He is a muscle man. He's strong. He's literally Superman. <laughs> Physically strong, emotionally strong too? Mm-hmm. And what's your superpower? I'm able to adapt in different situations. What would you say are the qualities that make a best mentor? The best mentors are tribal elders. They give wisdom, they're vulnerable, and they just share their experiences. And what makes the best mentee? The best mentee is a sponge, someone willing to learn, wanting to listen and be informed. I think I need to change my logo to a sponge. That, that A lot of people have said that. That's great. Who calls you a mentor? I would say young girls and young women call me a mentor. All right. Well, we'll get into that more here with Monique. And you wear a lot of hats, model, broadcaster for the Pac-12 network, player with the dream and with teams in Russia and eight countries, uh, but you're also a mentor yourself. What hat do you enjoy wearing the most? Whatever I'm wearing at the moment. 
I always try to be present wherever I'm at. I'm a multidimensional athlete. So I'm more than an athlete. I'm so blessed. God has been so good to me on my journey and just has allowed me to reach so many different people. As you said, I've been to so many countries and just have a lot of influence in a lot of different places. And I always just want to make sure I'm showing up the right way. You want to let us know which countries you've, you've played in? Yes. So I've played in China, South Korea, Lebanon, Jordan, Morocco, Israel, Turkey, and now Russia. Talk about your experience playing in the Middle East. Playing in the Middle East, I was actually very welcome. I feel like as an athlete, most of the places, everywhere that I've gone, actually, everyone um, accepts me with open arms and, you know, they're excited to connect with me. I'm very free spirited. So I love trying different things in culture. I love food and the fashion. So when I was in Jordan, um, I went to the Dead Sea and um, I went out with my teammates one day and I told them I wanted a belly dancing outfit. So we went to like a bazaar. Yes, we went to a bazaar. They got me a belly dancing outfit and we were like in that bazaar dancing. It was, it was just a vibe in a moment, but I just love creating moments. You know, you talked about your relationship with young women and, and you said that you young women look at you and that you feel this sense of this need to be an example for them. In what way? I look at young women and young girls and I see myself in them. You know, I always try to be what I didn't have or what I wish I would have had when I was growing up. Just a mentor, uh, a powerful, dominant female who's also graceful and God-fearing. You know, who I looked up to when I was younger was Tyra Banks. I love Tyra Banks. And I would only see her on the television, you know? I wasn't able to reach her. I wasn't able to ask her questions. And I always wish that I could have, but I know that my role and my purpose for people who look up to me, I want to be accessible to them as much as I can. I want to just be able to touch the lives of people just because I know that I'm on this platform for a reason. And I know that I'm not just here by chance. And so, like I said, I just want to influence positively, specifically young women and young girls in any way possible. Mo, what's the best piece of advice you ever received from a mentor? The best piece of advice that comes to mind that I received from, I wouldn't even consider her a mentor, but she was a teammate of mine. My rookie year in Atlanta, Imani McGee, Stafford McGee, she told me to be great at one thing every single day. And as a rookie, I was so nervous coming into training camp. I didn't know what to expect or anything like that. And she said, just be great at one thing every day. And that really just put a lot into perspective for me. So that just came to my mind right now. Shout out to Imani. Nice. Shout out to her and the impact she had on you. And then sort of conversely, now that you're a veteran and you're a mentor to other people yourself, what piece of advice do you typically give mentees? The piece of advice that I give mentees is to be a sponge and to network, just to use your resources, especially if you have a platform. Like I wish someone told me that address that to me when I was in college and I did a decent amount of networking I did a good amount of being a sponge but I feel like I could have done even more so I would definitely say to be a sponge and um, to network and you mentioned the platform the importance of having a platform or or using in your case using your platform is there something 
you would share with someone listening to this about using their platform and how they should tap into their passion? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to just find what interests you, how you want to use your platform and be as authentic as you possibly can. People love authenticity and just seeing the other side of you outside of your sport or outside of what you do every single day. I feel like that's so important. So being more than whatever you are, being um, not being one dimensional is so important. Well, when you were straight out of college, in fact, in your first year with the dream, you did an interview, you talked about self-doubt. How did you overcome that? Still overcoming it. I mean, it's a practice and it's something that I just have to be mindful of. And when a negative thought comes in, I have to try to replace that with a positive thought. And I have to realize or just ask myself, what is the source of this thought? Like that thought is not coming from God. It's not coming from a positive place. Like, where is that coming from? And so I try to address that within myself. I'm very introspective as much as I can be, but yeah, it's a practice. Negative thoughts come in all the time. And so I'm constantly, it's a spiritual battle. I'm constantly on the battlefield, trying to control my mind as much as I can. When you're in those moments of self-doubt and you're looking to replace a positive thought with a negative thought, what do you do? When I'm in those moments, I have to just be still. I have to be still and just go within myself. And like I said, ask myself, where is this coming from? You know, it's not coming from a positive place. I need to replace that, you know, and just speak truth to the lies that come into my head. And um, it's a practice, like I keep saying, but it's self-talk, just talking to yourself and just making sure that what you're saying to yourself is what you would want a mentor to say to you or a close friend. It's like, you almost have to be your own friend, especially while I'm abroad overseas. Like I'm alone right now, you know, it's nighttime here. Um, I'm sure in the States it's like morning and everyone's just waking up. So it's like, I'm on different time schedules. So throughout my day here, I'm by myself. So if I have negative thoughts and usually I would call a mentor or call my dad, it's like, I have to figure that out within myself. So it's just a lot of being still, um, practicing stillness, meditating, and um, self-talk. You said your favorite quote is better than yesterday, not as good as tomorrow. What does that mean? My dad gave me that quote when I was in college and it just impacted me so much. It's just striving to be better every single day. You can't reflect too much on yesterday, but you learn from it. And then you have to be focused in the moment and just look forward to be able to look forward to tomorrow as much as you can, not too much, you know, you want to be present, but just always striving to be the best that you can. That's what that quote means to me. I've always thought about this notion of being a work in progress, right? That every day you wake up a new person. 100%. Thankfully, you know, every day that we're blessed with is a new day. And so you can start over, you know, I try not to dwell or reflect too much, like I said, on the past and just try to be as present as I can. And Every day have a new intention, a new focus, a new mindset. Growing up, you had idols that you were watching on TV, playing the sport you love, Candace Parker, Lisa Leslie. They, they were taking the world by storm in those first WNBA seasons. How has the league changed since then? Well, shout out to those pioneers, because without them, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today. And ladies who will play in the future, they won't be able to do what they are doing as well so shout out to the pioneers but I'm just grateful 
that they um, have been a light for me and just so many other women. I never thought I would have the opportunity to make it to the WNBA. I remember, sorry, this is a little off topic, but I met Candace Parker and Lisa Leslie like when I was 10 years old at a high school. And it was just like seeing two superheroes. And it's like, now I'm in their shoes. And like the first time I played them, it was just crazy. It's like, well, not Lisa Leslie, but Candace Parker. Great. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that first time you played Candace Parker. Oh my goodness. I was so nervous. The very first time we played Candace Parker, I'm in LA, I'm at home in front of my family. And I'm like, okay, this is the goat. I'm about to go against the goat. And so I had a decent game. You know, I was proud of myself. I scored a couple buckets on her. I had this iconic photo. I find it iconic, but my hand is up. Like I'm sh like, I'm shooting a shot and it was in front of her and the shot went in. So I was proud of that, but um, I just have so much respect for her. And it was just uh, a really good day that I could reflect on. You posted a clip on Instagram of you working with Kobe Bryant. Tell me about that day. It's one of the best days of my life. Um, meeting Kobe changed my view of him and my perspective of him. I've always had so much respect for Kobe, but I had always seen him as arrogant. And I lived in a house, my mom, she was a Laker hater, hated the Lakers. And so I was never a Laker fan. And so I had always rooted against him, but meeting him that day, I just saw how poised he was and how humble he was. I went up to him and I said, hi, Kobe. I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Monique. He, he looked at me crazy. He gave me this funny look. He was like, I know who you are. <laughs> and I had chills, like chills running through my body. I'm like, oh my gosh, Kobe knows me. So yeah, that day was just one of the best days of my life. I'm forever grateful for it. Did he leave you with any advice? What comes to mind, keep shooting. You know, we were doing a, a workout with just reps and lots of shots. And so um, I had struggled with a couple of the moves in the beginning and he was so patient with me. That's something else that impressed me. He was just, he wanted me to understand. And, you know, he was determined that he was going to make me understand. And so when I finally got the move, I remember this one move I had tried over and over and over, maybe like 20 times. And then I finally got it. And he was like, yes, there you go. Like he was so excited for me. So just reps, I would say that's the biggest takeaway I got from that day. You talked about patience. Uh, how important is it to be patient if you're a mentor? Patience is so important. That's something that I'm really learning, you know, as I'm praying for my dreams to unfold and they are and they're happening, but it's so easy to compare and it's so easy just to look outside of yourself, you know, and just look at other people's situations and you can't compare your chapter one to someone else's chapter 10. And that was my focus of 2020 because I have a habit of doing that sometimes. And so I had to just be patient and realize like my time is coming. What's for me is for me. And um, I don't have to stress over it. I teach at NYU and I, I meet a lot of young people. And I think it's a fair generalization to say younger people are, are generally more impatient, right? And I think that transition between college and your career, and in your case, the Atlanta dream, you went from being every move, every meal, every class, every practice being overly managed versus this sense of independence. For those making the transition in their career from collegiate life to a career in professional sports, what advice would you give? Just know yourself because everyone's different. 
I am the type of player, I don't want to be micromanaged. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get my workouts done. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to do everything that I need to do and show up as a pro. This is what I'm getting paid to do. Um, and I had that mentality in college too. So I struggled at times because I didn't want to be told to go to tutoring. Like I'm going to study on my own. I got it, you know, and I, it was a, it was a battle for me and I wrestled with that, but there's some student athletes who need that and they know they need that and they want that, which is awesome. But I would just say, you have to know yourself, know what works for you. It's going to be different for everybody, but through trial and error, you just figure it, figure out what works best for you. And how important is it for coaches to know their players in that way? It's extremely important for coaches to know their players because not everyone is the same. Not everyone fits into one box. That's also something that I learned in college and just dealing with different types of teammates. It's the same, you know, as a player, same for players, same for coaches. You know, you're working with so many different people from so many different backgrounds. You have to know how to work with those people and it's going to be different for everybody but communication is key so just being able to communicate with people and for an individual to be able to speak on um what they prefer what they work well with you know I don't like being yelled at or I need to be pushed more and being able to give that feedback to a coach or to your teammates is essential well your last two coaches are pretty incredible women in Corey Close at UCLA and Nikki Collin at The Dream. What would you say that the differences between the two are? That's a great question. And I, I would say it goes back to thinking about college versus pro. So Coach Close um, is really determined to build young ladies up into women. You know, not everyone gets the opportunity to go pro and she's aware of that. So we have, she's preparing us for life after basketball. Whereas Coach Colin, this is my job. I'm a professional athlete. I show up to work each day. So it's just kind of a different mentality. Yes, she's also trying to instill characteristics and different traits within us as women in the organization, but it's more job focused and it's not as, um, I don't know how to describe it, but like it goes back to like the whole micromanage thing and it's not so much of that. Who has a harder job? Hmm. I would say a college coach definitely has a harder job because it's like you're almost babysitting, like with the amount of things that you're doing. And when you're on the road, you have to sometimes coaches will do like bed checks and make sure everyone's in their room and just make sure everyone's on point. Whereas if you're a pro and you're not on top of your stuff, you lose your job and that's it. Do you have a viewpoint on the importance of gender in coaching the men's and women's games? I really don't. I wish I did, but I really don't. Throughout your career, have you played for a mix of men and women? Mm -hmm. In high school, I played for male coach. I had a travel ball coach who was male, and I had um, just a regular high school coach who was male. And then my last two coaches, as you said, have been female. Does it matter? Me personally, no, I wouldn't say it matters. You know, as long as I'm in a good system and I'm with coaches who care about me, I would say that matters. That's the most important thing. You described yourself once as a self-care queen. Is that even more important now during a pandemic? Absolutely. Absolutely. Self-care 
is everything that it takes to just come back home to yourself. Whatever makes you feel more like you, whatever makes you feel like the best version of yourself, that's self-care. And a lot of people will think it's bubble baths and face masks and all that stuff. That's definitely a part of self-care, but self-care is just making time for yourself, just taking a moment to be mindful. And, you know, we talked about negative thoughts earlier. Self-care is just practicing talking to yourself. How would you want a friend to talk to you? How would you want your mentor to talk to you? That's self-care. Self-care is investing in yourself, reading books, gaining knowledge, not wasting hours scrolling on social media mindlessly. You know, there's a time and a place for that, but it's just investing in your, bril- in your brilliance and in your greatness. What's your go-to routine in that regard? My go-to routine? No, it says my morning routine. My morning routine is essential. Every single day I wake up, if I don't start my day off right, I feel it throughout my day. And I could speak to that because today I didn't start my day off right. I went to bed really late last night. You know, being in Russia is tough because like I said, my family is up while I'm supposed to be asleep. So it's three, if it's 3 a.m. here, it's 2 p.m. in LA. And I'm like, I miss my people. I want to talk to my friends. So I was up late. It kind of just domino effect into this morning. Usually I wake up and I'll read my Bible, I'll journal, I'll cook a good breakfast and just like ease into my morning, just relax into my morning. Today was abrupt. I didn't have time for, um, I pressed snooze a couple times. So I didn't have time to get up when I wanted to and read the books and um, just do all the things that I would usually do. So my morning routine is everything. How are you acclimating to the culture in Russia? Hmm, that's a great question. I haven't been uh, very conscious about acclimating to the culture. I kind of just show up and learn to adapt. Russian people, they don't speak too much. You know, in America, it seems like a lot of people are warm, welcoming. We'll just say hello if they're walking down the street. Russia's not really like that. People don't really make eye contact. So I stay in my lane, um, do what I'm supposed to do. I try to be kind as much as I can. I'm learning a little bit of Russian. I've made friends. So if I go to the store or today I went to a cake shop, side note, Russian cakes are the best cakes I've had in my life. Anyways, I went to this Russian cake store with a friend and um, the waitress kind of spoke English, but kind of not really. And so we had a mix of like English and Russian. It was really cool. She was excited. and I was excited to speak Russian. So I love moments like that. And you've had this opportunity, as we said, to, to pl- work and play ostensibly in eight different countries. Is there time to immerse yourself yeah. in a culture when you're, when you're playing pro ball? Oh, I make time because it's like, when am I going to be in Russia next? When am I going to be in Israel next? You know, I never know. So when I go to these different places, I love to explore. Um, Like I said, I'm very free spirited. So I just like to do what the people do here and see what the life and the culture is about. Which culture did you enjoy being in the most? What what were some of those experiences like? It's a great question. I would say China or South Korea were my favorite cultures to be in. At times, it would just feel like I was in a movie. Like when I was in China, I'd be on the bullet train and we'd be riding for like five hours, but I'd have my headphones in, I'm listening to music and I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing rice fields and I'm seeing the farmers in the rice fields. It's like, these are things that I've only seen in movies. And it was just like, beautiful seeing how they lived and it was very clean more so South Korea was very clean and 
I would go to the spas there, keep bringing up self-care. I would go to the spas and um, those were just two of my favorite cultures ever. Last year, the Dream and the WNBA made headlines in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and your teammates and players across the league took action in a big way and, and may very well have altered the course of American history. Tell me about that experience. I would just say it was an empowering moment, you know, being able to come together as a league and stand in solidarity. It was definitely a sisterhood moment. It brought us together so much more and it just created a moment that expressed that this is bigger than basketball. You know, we love basketball, we love what we do, but we do it for a purpose. There's so much more to it and there's so much more to life. In those moments where you're, you know, obviously it's bigger than basketball and there's, there's necessary conversation being had inside the locker room and amongst teammates, were there any moments where there wasn't 100% agreement about how to handle the situation? 100%. I mean, you know, you're bringing so many different people together from all, all over the world and you're trying to come to a common ground. You know, it's tough, but um, the motive overall was just to find that common ground the best way that we could just through communication and through give and take, figure it out. You know, many of us are in situations where there are conflicting opinions. In a team environment uh, around an issue as uh, profound as social justice. How do you resolve that conflict? That's a great question. I mean, it just goes back to communication, trying to figure it out, trying to understand someone's side who you might not agree with. And it goes back to knowing yourself, knowing what you bring to the table, knowing your role. Me personally, I know that basketball is my safe space. So when I'm on the court, I don't like bringing politics to the court. And that's just me. But I have teammates who do. And I respect that because that's what makes them feel empowered. And I've had powerful conversations with my teammates, specifically in the bubble, when they would ask certain questions like, why don't you like speaking about politics? And I'd say, well, this is how it makes me feel. It drains me. It makes me just not feel like I even want to play basketball. Basketball is my happy place. And when they heard my perspective, they're like, wow, like, I never thought about that. I didn't realize that. And then when they would share their perspective, it would, I would have that moment, like, wow, I never thought about that. I never realized that. So that's how you come to a common ground. Even if you don't necessarily find a solution in the moment, you just always work towards it. At the stage in your career where you are now, do you do more mentoring or are you getting more mentoring? Whew. I would say I'm getting more mentoring. I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm actively seeking it. I don't realize that I am mentoring. I feel like calling yourself a mentor is kind of a big deal. And like, I realize that I am a mentor, but I don't think I'm that much of a big deal, if that makes sense. You know, I don't see myself so highly in that, in that way. I just wanna help people as much as I can, but I'm, actively seeking mentorship. I want to learn. I want to learn from the pioneers who came before me, the greats, people who I aspire to be like. So I'm definitely seeking more than um, I'm giving in my perspective. I think we all are, right? I mean, especially people who are, you know, at early stages in their career. I mean, that's the big thing, right? They want to have a network of mentors or a mentor to confide in or guide them. Can you talk a little bit about how do you go about seeking that mentorship? 
Is it the conscious decision? Do you pick someone? Is there a process of elimination? What works for you? I mean, I've been really blessed to have people come into my life that I had no idea would become my mentors. That's been a lot of the situations for me. But writing down your needs, what you want, what you want to learn, what you hope to grow in, I feel like that in itself will help you narrow, narrow down the process of who you want to be your mentor. And then people who you admire and look up to, telling them that, you know, just telling someone, like I said, who you look up to, like, I really respect what you do. I respect how you move. And I would love to learn from you. I would love to just see what you have to offer. And that that's flattery. People are, you know, um, feeling good about themselves when they get those compliments. So of course they're going to want to help you, but it just all comes back to what you want to learn, what you want to grow in, who you want to become. Who's seeking you out these days for mentorship? Um, I'd say young women and young girls, and that's my focus. I keep going back to that, but that I feel like I just resonate with them so much and I can relate to them because like I was them and I see myself in them so like I said I try to answer dms as much as I can sometimes I'll get emails I always just want to be a light for the young community so let us in on the secret who are narps narps non-athletic regular people and no shade to the NARPs. We love y'all. We love the NARPs, but that's just what it is. Describe that. What, what, the, what does that mean? Why do you, why do you love them? Because it's like, you get to, I, we get tired. Athletes get tired of each other. You know, we're around each other 24 seven. It's like, I don't want to talk about sports. Let me go to my regular friends. Like, what are y'all talking about? My, my non-athletic regular people. Like, what are y'all doing in the world? It's just a balance. That's why I love my NARPs because they give me the balance in my life. Lots of people listening are NARPs. What do you have to say to them? Hmm. I mean, don't take offense to the word NARP. I think NARPs are dope. It's a funny name, but um, you know, everyone has a role. So thank you for being who you are. Everyone just keep being who you are and, um, and whatever you're doing, whether you are an athlete, non-athlete, just strive for greatness and all that you do. You do a lot. You are very active, uh, on and off the court. You've got a lot of interests and you've got other paid gigs. But one thing I picked up from doing a little research on you is you're also a master networker. What's the value to you, to a pro athlete, being so active in networking? Well, I just, I know that I have this platform right now and I might not always have it. I might not have it forever. I'm playing basketball right now. People love to be attached to an athlete when they're hot, when they're going through their process. They love that. And so, you know, basketball has allowed me to reach so many high points and it's given me so much. And there's also moments where like when you're at UCLA, that institution is, is using you, not in a bad way. You know, you're receiving a free education, you you're have that platform, but the school is definitely using you. So it's like, you have to use it back. So you have to network, in my opinion. And I almost wish I networked more when I was at UCLA. And I did a really great job of networking, but it's like the amount of people who um, will wanna just be connected to a school, like. UCLA or just a certain university or just a certain program. Um, people are definitely willing to help. 
Are there connections you've made uh, over LinkedIn or over Instagram or other social media platform that have led to deals, agreements, opportunities? All the time, all the time. Networking is so powerful. I've connected with so many great people and I've just had so many experiences that I never even thought would happen through networking. We're coming up on the I think it's the 49th or 50th anniversary of Title IX. And so much has changed in college athletics, not just for women, but just for the, um, the, the, the financial side of college sports. And now a big story a lot of people following are following uh, is about name, image, and likeness and the ability for college athletes to monetize their own brands. And, you know, what advice as a former college athlete do you give to today's college athletes about navigating that space? Study people who have gone through the process, ask questions, network, have a want to learn, be a sponge. You know, you don't know it all. A lot of college athletes, I probably at one point thought I knew it all and I didn't. So be humble and learn, you know, this is a great opportunity college student athletes are able to make money like that's insane that's beautiful so it's like learn how to do that ask seek seek knowledge seek wisdom and you said seek it from people who are going through the process what do you mean by the process the process is wherever you're at that's leading you to where you're going that's the process. And there's so many different processes. There's processes through processes. Like it's just, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes with that. But um, the process ultimately is yourself. You are the process. You are becoming and um, yeah. Who are among the people that inspire you? Naomi Osaka. I love Naomi Osaka and I don't know her personally, but the way she carries herself, she's a goat, like her greatness, um, everything that she's doing. I just have so much respect for her and I love to see her win. So shout out to her. What's it about her story that's so inspiring? I mean, she just puts in the work. She works hard, she's humble, she's graceful. She seems just like a really nice, solid human being. And um, I just respect people like that. She's not too flashy, but she's dope at the same time. Like she just has a lot of balance about her. And if I were to have another guest at your recommendation on this podcast, who would it be? If you were to have another guest, I would say Angel McCautry. And I say that because Angel McCautry was my mentor and still is my mentor, but she was my vet my rookie year. She put me on so much game. She um, was just really there for me in a great way. And I appreciated that. It meant so much to me more than she will ever know. What were some of the things Angel told you when you were going through your process? She was just teaching me how to be a pro. You know, she's been a pro for a very long time and she's one of the best in the game. So she was just giving me knowledge that people have given her financially, gratitude on days when I just didn't feel like going to practice you know she stopped me one day and was like do you realize like you just came out of college and you have a job like there's so many people who don't have that and I was like wow like she's right 
And she introduced me to a lot of people. Speaking of networking, she just, that's my OG. She's always looked out for me. Onique Billings, thank you so much for joining me on the Sports Mentoring Project. I wish you much success in Russia and uh, continued prosperity in the game of basketball. And I look forward to continuing to network with you along the way. Thank you so much, John. I really, really appreciate it.